All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And, you know, a lot of people can get to huge places quickly in their business, but also in the actual business of whatever their employment is. And sometimes it's hard to trade out the comfort and security of these big jobs. But my guest today is going to tell you that it's possible your life can be better and more profitable. Uh, Mason, how are you doing today? Bryce, I'm doing really well. Excited to be here. Yeah, um, I'm excited to hear the story. So tell people the cross section of that, because when we were talking before the show, um, I was looking at your, your form and it says hospital CEO. Tell me about right. that. And then how did you transition to where you're at now as a land investor? Yeah, that's right. Um, and to to keep my elevator pitch short. Um, so I, I grew up in a family where uh, education was always the goal. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to get as many letters behind your name, as many degrees as you can. The options were doctor or lawyer, uh, pretty typical of Jewish mothers um, to have that expectation for their sons. And um that's kind of what the path I went on, uh, decided towards the end of my undergraduate uh, that I was not going to be a doctor. So I went the healthcare administration route when you got a master's degree in healthcare administration. And uh, after graduating, um, I had a really rapid rise. I became uh, associate administrator, had 90 employees, a chief operating officer had 200 and then a CEO with 400 employees within three years of graduating from graduate school. And I made it to the top. I think a lot of people would see that uh, the 26 year old hospital CEO and think they had everything figured out, but I was exhausted all the time. My blood pressure, I was hypertensive stage two. I was working over a hundred hours a week. Uh, the pay yeah. was fine, but I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I always wanted to get into real estate investing and stumbled across land flipping. And in November of 2021, I purchased my first land deal. And shortly after that, realized how much money I was going to make. And when I sold it and quit my job, I made six figures on my first flip and uh, no going back. Uh, love being the solo entrepreneur and living a happier and healthier life now that I'm not working for the man. Yeah, it definitely can be stressful. You know, people chase, you know, especially culturally, um, there's likely a lot of Jewish people with high blood pressure and hypertension because there's a lot of pressure um culturally and historically to achieve in those fields that are very stressful so what did your parents say when you said i'm quitting my ceo job to be a business uh not even a businessman i'm going to be <laughs> a like a fly by night land investor yeah i think uh they were they were happy they were happy for me they were extraordinarily grateful for my wife who without her support um both financial and morally i wouldn't have been able to do it uh she she makes the big bucks so i can go be the fun entrepreneur guy and uh but they they were happy for me because they saw what the job was doing to me uh mm -hmm. they saw any time that we hung out which was very very minimal uh yeah. i was stressed all the time you could see it in my eyes that i hadn't slept and uh, there was that mom instinct of, all right, you you figured it out. You proved yourself to the world. You beat corporate America before most people uh, achieve a finish title like that. Or... They fit it before they even finish university. Sometimes they're on like the uh, 
the eight year plan because, you know, stretch it out, take less courses. But by 26, you're already at a climb to the top of it. So why land? Yeah, I had, uh, I'd always wanted to get into real estate investing. My dad, uh, was a commercial real estate investor. So I kind of saw it growing up whenever I would go over to his place and, um, Land to me was something I never thought I was actually going to invest in a syndication deal and was meeting with the guy and uh, he turned out to be a land coach, uh, Brent Bowers, a great friend, business partner now, but he said how much money he was making flipping land and it was that Jordan Belfort moment in Wolf of Wall Street with Jonah Hill and uh, I was like, show me and I'll quit my job essentially and he showed, he showed me, he taught me the way I paid for a course and had extreme success and I love the simplicity of land. Uh, I understand it. I can walk on it. I can determine whether it has development potential or recreational potential, recreation potential or whatever. And it's, uh, it just made sense to me. And I liked the lower barrier to entry, uh, that land provides. Yeah. No tenants, no toilets, right? Well, you might have some tented tenants where you're like, I own this now and there's people on it and stuff like that. Um, depending on the state and the, and the laws there. That happens when, uh, two weeks ago, actually. <laughs> there you go. Well, let, let's let's tell that story because I think people are interested in that because land's a, a, an interesting emerging um, thing because everyone immediately thinks, oh, I'm going to flip a house. I'm going to buy rent, refinance a house. Um, maybe I'll get a duplex. <clears throat> and then you can see how it just like the thing gets bigger, but the product is the same, a piece of land with a house on it piece of land with two houses on piece of land you know what i mean so why most people don't ever go down to just land why land and tell the story about people <laughs> camping out yeah uh i think why land uh you've got to look at it from it's halloween uh happy halloween um 2023 right now when we're recording this and the big article right now is Warren Buffett puts $800 million into single family home building. And where are you going to build if you don't have the land? So in these inventory constrained markets, if you can access vacant land that has development potential, there's going to be a builder that's going to want to buy it. Or uh, if it's the recreational land in the mountain, there's the person that from Texas that wants to go ride four wheelers in Colorado. And so there, there's always kind of an end use uh, with land and, um, it just, I think whenever I think about the business, which it's a simple business, it's direct mail marketing to acquire land at a discount, uh, off market. And then we purchase it and resell it or develop it or subdivide it or have any number of disposition strategies. But I think having that many, uh, exit strategies with land is something that's really attractive to me. And the point I was making about Warren Buffett is there's not actually a lot of institutional money in the land acquisition space. If you go and talk to developers, you go and talk to builders, the piece that we provide for them, they don't understand. I was walking a property with a builder just a week ago and he was like, dude, how do you find this? I can't, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't click in their head that you can find land that's not shovel ready and make it shovel ready and uh, do it in an extreme discount. And uh, with what you're talking about, we bought a piece of land uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, give or take. And no one had gone to the property. We hadn't seen it. The numbers worked out. And uh, whenever my realtor and drone photographer went out to go take pictures for listing, they were like, hey, there's a trailer on this property. And it looks like someone's been living in it. And so we investigated and it turned out no one has been living in it in decades. Uh, 
we think. Um, so there mm-hmm. might be someone actually living in it, but there's a vacant trailer on the property. So it's, uh, it's in Hartsville, Colorado. If anyone wants a vacant trailer, I just don't want to deal with it, but there you go. Well, put it up, put it up and go and get it, drag it out. Yep. Who knows? It, uh, you know, might be, it might be a, a good investment. Just leave it there. Someone's like, Oh, and it comes with the trailer. Um, land, land is an interesting thing. And I, I like what you touched on is that we do have like a housing crunch in the sense that every every politician's affordable housing this and more units and lower the lower the rents and make it make it affordable to live um easier said than done and certainly you know you're always finding this like generational land where it's like the people in the family it's in a trust or a deed and they're like i've never even been it i'm i'm on the other side of the country grandpa's grandpa bought this thing and it's just a piece of land and so um i think it's really interesting that it's an emerging topic but you're right like look at the supply and demand in the marketplace and say like do we need to do we need to really pony up more single family homes yeah probably there's some there's there's always a business there do we need to provide more rentals yeah there's always a business there do we need more duplexes all the way up more apartments great but there, it's the quote like Mark. I think it's Mark Twain. He says, "Buy land. I'm not making any more of it." So, how do you help people facilitate that that kind of mysterious? Let's call it like step one is like I'm buying a house, and that's what people think real estate. But let's go to step zero and say, "I'm buying land." How do you facilitate that? How do you help people? Um, you know how how can you help people? Yeah, absolutely. So. I, th- I think the trope that you were talking about of the multi-generational land of the, so the the person that bought it from a developer, a traveling land salesman, uh, which was really popular back in the 50s, actually, people going door to door and selling paper lots um, where they don't they don't know what to do with it. They don't want it. That's been in the family forever. They're just playing, paying taxes on it or not paying taxes on it anymore. So helping people on the acquisition side of whether distressed or not distressed, if they don't have plans with it, it's just a tax burden to them. And we're able to purchase it at whatever price they deem fair and get it off their hands. So that's always fun. And then on the inventory creation piece of it, uh, I think what, with what we're, you're talking about with the single family home buyer, you would expect less of that in the land space of, oh, I see a piece of land and it's a blank canvas of whatever I want it to be. And that's mm-hmm. not the case of... It's, well, there's trees on it. How could I build a house if there's trees on it? Or there's a slope on that property. How could you build sideways? Even if yeah, there's weird, a house with a walkout basement. and Yeah, weird. Uh, just like totally slanted side of a hill property, but somebody owns it. Exactly. And people can build on it. The engineering's not too complex. So I think with, uh, just like with any product that you're attempting to sell, you're, you're selling the vision of it. And it, I think it's good advice, whether it's on the acquisition or the sales side of whatever business you're in, is you can't make assumptions about who your seller or who your buyer is, mm-hmm. because whenever you try to get in people's heads, there's 8 billion people on this earth. You don't know every single one of them or what they've been through or what their biology, psychology, or sociology has been uh, to mm-hmm. lead them to whatever their perception of a vacant piece of land is. So mm-hmm. I think whether you can do minor improvement on a land flip of go in and clear some trees, maybe make some money. If you're in the Northern part of the country where there's timber, you know? Yep, exactly. And 
uh, or do drone pictures with a 3D rendering of a home and that kind of stuff on the sales side helps connect it. But to to be honest, Bryce, uh, that's what I hire people for. I, I don't have to worry about that. I, I pass off my deals to specialists in the land space within uh, within the realtor community and they do that that for me. Yeah, they want to get that they want to get that commission. Now, um, I like what you're saying. It's an emotional sale. When when you're dealing with the land, um, there's a particular, you know, you had mentioned you cannot guess what people's vision is going to be. I remember when I was in flipping, I'd be trying to assign a contract and I'd be telling them, oh, you could do this and you could do that. And that would actually have people walk off because they're like, I don't like your vision, Bryce. So how do you stay out of that? I usually like to stick to the facts of the matter. This is how big it is. This is what it is. This is the vintage. What you do with it is your own thing. So how do you navigate that trying to make it a, a, a sale emotional without, you know, I guess in the sales world, talking too much? Yeah, absolutely. And you you hit with that last point, you hit the nail on the head of you should be speaking 10 to 20% max in a negotiation uh, whenever you're acquiring a piece of land. And that's the main sales in this business. You make your money when you buy. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the way I approached it, and I say approached it past tense because I've got um, an acquisition manager that handles all my acquisitions at this point in my business was... I had a number in mind whenever I was on the phone with that seller and that's my final number and I won't go above it no matter the sob story or anything that I hear. Mm -hmm. I'm a numbers guy and I can't allow emotion to uh, affect my decision-making in business. And so I would have that number, but in order to appeal to their emotions, I would always focus on the, what could have been of what were your plans with this land? What were you going to do? And that's whenever you get them talking. And they get to hear all the stories and you ask them of, well, it sounds like your kids don't want it or your grandkids aren't going to want it. Don't you think it would be fair if another family got to enjoy this land that you haven't seen in 20 years mm -hmm. and just put it back on them and say, you know what? Shoot, Mason, you're right. Uh, let's let's do that. And I think stewardship is something that we we focus on in my business of. Hey, we're taking this land and putting it to its highest and best use, whether it's a home for someone or someone to just go go out and play in the woods on, uh, whatever it might be. And focusing on that with the actual seller, I think, uh, gets us a lot of deals uh, when we get them on the phone. Very cool. So you'd mentioned that you guys are starting to um, to JV with people. Um, before the show, you mentioned you guys are starting to JV because I had your partner on uh, just a few days ago, I think might've been last week or earlier, I think it was last week. And he was mentioning the same thing that you guys are starting to JV with people to kind of facilitate what the bank doesn't want to do, which is to kind of assist with the, with the, the funding and the financing on um, land acquisition and holding and, and the space that, you know, it's just dirt. Like the bank wants bricks and sticks. So um, tell people how, how you got to that and, you know, how you can help them with that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the partner you're alluding to is Dan Habercost. Uh, we host our own, own podcast actually called the big picture blueprint. So feel free to check that out on any platform. But what Dan and I are offering is the opportunity to essentially have us be a partner in a deal that you're doing. 
uh, we would do a joint venture agreement. Should you be a new land flipper or an experienced land flipper? We both experienced uh, an immense amount of pain in our business of attempting to get financing for deals. Uh, I think people might hear that and be like, well, why do you need financing for deals if you're making so much money? It's growth and scaling. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't use your own money to succeed. You got to get rich together. But what we would do is come in and say you have a good deal under contract, we would underwrite it for you. And then we would provide all of the funding necessary for the deal. And we would do a profit split at the end of it. The reason we created it is just like I said, the pain points we experienced in our own business. And then two, the lack of institutional opportunities where you go to a hard money lender, you go that's proficient in their knowledge with single family homes or apartment complexes or a bank that understands three things or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And you say, hey, I've got this piece of land under contract, 50% uh, of what market price is. I want a 100% LTC, LTC uh, loan and it's at 50% loan to value. And they say, well, we can't calculate the loan to value on land. We don't know land. So mm. it's created an opportunity uh, for us to partner with people that are looking to get their deals funded. If you, so if you have more deals uh, than cash, reach out to myself um, or my my partner, Dan Habercost, and and we'll, we'll get it funded. Awesome. Awesome. So um, one of the questions I like to ask guys who've kind of climbed the ladder and you've climbed a few with the, with the hospital thing, as well as with the land thing here. Um, let's talk about, let's, let's do, let's do two. Cause I said, I, I said, I, I, I'd throw this question to you, but what's the biggest myth that you figured out with the, with the job thing? What did you think was a thing and turned out not to be a thing in your CEO position at the hospital? Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll try to consolidate that answer. I think, um, to the, the young careerist that hears that of, it was, it was a big deal for me to get that position at that age. And I'm not saying that in a way that's bragging. I'm saying it in a way that was surprising to everyone around me. Uh, I've never managed someone younger than me. And um, I think the biggest myth associated with my climb to that position was one that uh, you don't have to have decades of experience to succeed in something. If you see the right way of doing something, uh, based on evidence, not based on assumption, uh, and based on data, and you can execute effectively, you can rise through the ranks. Um, and you have to do that through a combination of effective strategy and implementation, as well as effective networking. Uh, you have to be a likable person. You can't be that low trust, high performing individual. You have to be the high trust, high performing individual. So even if you're young, uh, don't assume that you have to follow the uh, follow the path. And then I think second on that one uh, is just because you're a CEO doesn't mean you are the ultimate decision maker if you're working for a uh, Fortune 200 company. It's just mm -hmm. not how it works. Okay. And let's do one with the, with the land. What was the biggest myth you had in your head going into land investing and what's kind of turned out not to be so true? Yeah, it's uh, land and real estate investing. Uh, the idea of you can invest in real estate with no money. Uh, that is absolutely and unequivocally, I can't even say the word, I'm a little sick, but uh, it's absolutely untrue. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you need to be spending money in some capacity, whether it is, and yeah, you can 
show the exception that proves the rule of the person that door knocks and does it on their bicycle and rides 500 miles a day, but you need to be spending on money on marketing or systems or all of the above. Mm -hmm. uh, and typically, unless you have a track record, people aren't going to give you money to, uh, to put into deals. I was able to raise private money in my business because it's saying, oh, look, you've done half a million in revenue in the past five months. I'm, I'm sold. Uh, I, I can invest with you, but yeah, you need, you need money to invest in real estate and land specifically too. Yeah. Specific with land. There's hard money lenders out there. And yeah, the myth of $0 is, uh, it's true in the sense that it doesn't have to be your money, but it's gotta be somebody's money. So if they want to reach out to you, Mason, and you know, connect with you guys, or they got a deal or something, how do they find you? How do they reach out to you and, and connect with you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is where I'm most active. So if you look up Mason McDonald on LinkedIn, or I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes, uh, mm -hmm. or check out our podcast, The Big Picture Blueprint. We have a link tree where it has access to my website and Dan's website and uh, get in contact with either of us. Um, we, we're looking to help people in the land space and I think being able to provide knowledge and provide value, uh, whether it's teaching you how to do it, funding your deals or anything, anything in at all on the land space, reach out. Cool. Cool. So yeah, I really appreciate uh, the insight. And uh, as always, guys, we'll see you on the next episode.